Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. For decades, people have been drawn to our state by the warm weather, the beaches, theme parks, and lack of state income tax. Florida's identity, at least beyond our state borders, is tied to those things. But a recent population boom and headline-grabbing politics is raising our profile. For the next few weeks on Florida Matters, we're going to explore what all of this means for the people who call the state home. We wanted to find out what the rapid pace of change looks like to you, our neighbours across the Tampa Bay region. In an online survey and during our reporting over the past couple of months, we asked you to tell us what you think about issues connected to our booming population. Everyday things like housing, the environment, transportation and the economy. And we'll also take a deep dive into the politics and culture which shape our lives. We're calling this series Our Changing State. Know that Florida Matters will be sounding a little different. We'll start each episode sharing stories from local residents about how change has affected them. Then we'll invite experts in to answer questions you and your neighbours submitted about each one of those issues. That's right, you and your neighbours are driving the conversation. And we hope we all learn a little more about our changing state in the process. Today we're talking about housing. Florida is the fastest growing state in the United States, according to the US Census Bureau. More than 22 million people now call the state home. Since 2010, Florida's added an average of 269,000 more residents a year, and many of them have arrived in just the past few years. All that can make finding somewhere to live challenging. We start with Tampa residents Charles George and Carolyn Lang. They needed to make a move, but the timing was right at the height of a real estate frenzy that's still playing out in the Tampa Bay region. WUSF's Craig Cobb visited them at their new home to hear how they tried to find the right home at the right price in the right place. Hi there. Hi. Just randomly, come on in. Okay, Craig Cobb. Charles. Charles. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And you are? Carolyn. Carolyn, nice to meet you. This is a great neighborhood. I have I am yes. not familiar with this neighborhood. Well, it's called Ravinia. Do you need a tour? <laughs> yeah, a tour would be really cool. Oh, can okay. we do that? Yeah, I can let's do that. Do that. All right, so Ravinia. Ravinia. And you moved from uh, Brandon area. Well, by the Brandon Mall. This is great. So this is kind of an open floor plan here. Yeah, I'm on our island with yes, the sink. Yeah, island. It's yes. great. It's great. Yeah, it all works well for us. I'm an accountant. I work for a small company in St. Petersburg. And what do you do? Um, I teach math, science, and technology classes. And you've been in Florida for? 20 plus years. And you? Since birth, so 51 and a half years ago. All of that time in Tampa or? No. Um, I was born in Alachua, Florida, and then, Sar- then Sarasota, and then Tallahassee, and now Tampa. The pantry is amazing. You can see everything. The shelves are the perfect depth to really just have one layer of things. We do have our hurricane supplies laid in, so we're ready. We were living in a condominium, a nice condominium, but it was second floor. And uh, Carolyn was having some health issues, and so we decided to look for some place that was first floor. 
and that's what started the search. This is a yoga swing. I was going to ask. an exercise uh, device that my wife uses. What were the frustrations? Uh, from my point of view, there were several. One is we, we looked, yes, we have a good realtor, but we look online like people do today. And what we found was a very unevenness in the market as to quality. So what might be a $250,000 house in one area uh, could look vastly different than the same price in another not far away area. And I think working through all those challenges was part of our, our biggest thing. Same thing for you, Carolyn? That and I would say misleading photographs that may have been taken, I don't know, decades before. Two car garage. You're far too uh, organized. Oh, the, you, we've worked very hard at this. When we started hitting some of these quality issues, and seeing what we got for say 250, which was kind of our first peg price, it was like uh, we almost have to go up. We we couldn't find the kind of house that we wanted, so we ended up in the mid 300s before we were done. So we bought, spent more than we expected, but we got what we wanted. The houses that we could have gotten for 250 thousand would have needed 100 to 200 thousand dollars of renovation to make them livable. So we would have spent the same amount of money, but we would have had to deal with construction and all the hassle. The master bath. The master bath with the most awesome shower ever. <laughs> What happens is, is that over time, the good properties have already been picked off. And what we're being left with is houses. They're serviceable, but if you really want a livable house, you're going to have to put money in it over and above the high price you already paid. That gets tough. So sitting here now, I'm assuming that you're pretty happy you found what you found. I consider ourselves very fortunate. They're not a lot of properties, I think, that would meet our criteria. It came out, what, on a Monday? We saw it on Tuesday and had an offer in almost immediately. And it didn't go to the weekend for people to come see it. So we didn't have a bidding war. We didn't have, yeah. But if it had gone further, we, we would have. The time interval for decision making is very, very short and you're making one of your major life decisions here, you know, finan financially speaking. Uh, so it's, that's, that's hard. That was WUSF's Craig Kopp talking with Tampa residents Charles George and Carolyn Lang. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're exploring how Florida is changing rapidly and what that means for the people who live here in a series we're calling Our Changing State. Today we're focused on housing and after the break we'll put your questions about housing to our expert panel. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're exploring how Florida is changing rapidly and what that means for the people who live here in a series we're calling Our Changing State. Recently, a population boom and politics is raising our profile 
and we've been talking about what that means with our neighbours across the Tampa Bay region. In the course of our reporting over the past several months, we asked you to weigh in on the issues. Today, your questions are focusing on housing. We're joining us to talk more about the impact of Florida's surging population on housing, from the high price of home ownership to the demand for rental housing. Florida Atlantic University business professor, associate dean and real estate expert Ken H. Johnson. Ken, thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here. And Florida Housing Coalition CEO, Ashan Nesbitt. Ashan, thanks to you as well. Thank you very much for being here. So for the next several weeks, Florida Matters is sounding a little bit different. We asked members of the community what they wanted to know about our rapidly changing state of Florida. And I have the pleasure of asking questions on behalf of members of our community. Mary Beth Koch from Tampa asked, how do housing costs look compared to the rest of the country? Ken, what about that? Sure. So housing in Florida, both uh, to, to own and to rent in, are at record highs for this, this part of the country. This is a lot different than we were looking at 15 years ago. Rents are high, home prices are high, but this time around rents are supporting home prices, so we're not expecting a crash, but we're probably talking about a prolonged period of unaffordable housing. So for folks who are looking to get in on the housing market, that's not necessarily great news. It's tough. We actually have a history of this around the country, too. In particular, I guess the closest example would be Miami circa 86 through a roughly 90, where prices went flat for three, four or five years as the trend of housing prices caught up with actual prices. So I think we're looking at relatively flat prices. But yes, if you're looking for that capital gain in home ownership, probably not there. But the returns to home ownership in terms of rents or avoided rents is high, uh, mm. somewhere between six and seven and a half percent on rents around the around the state. Jay Clawson from Venice wanted to know, is housing really unaffordable to the majority of current residents or is this a supply issue? Sean, what do you think? Yes, it's, it's, it's kind of a two part question. Um, when you think about what what's going on in our housing markets and a lot of it is, is driven by the population growth and folks coming into our state from other parts of the country. Um, who are, you know, have a, a different set of a market uh, parameters that they're working with. For example, those coming from the Northeast to to Florida um, may see our prices as relatively affordable. So you, you do have that, compare that to our, our existing workforce um, that's been here. A lot of it uh, for a long period of time has been kind of in the, the lower income in the, in the tourist industry, the service industry. And so you have a housing market that's driven in large part by folks coming in from other parts of the country with higher incomes or higher assets that are now competing uh, with uh, the lower income workforce. Let's hear a question from Margaret Stahl from Tampa. She wrote in, Tampa housing has become way too expensive and is non-existent, non-existent for working citizens. I can't afford to live in a three bedroom as a single parent with two teenage boys. I have an education and a great job, but the cost of living is horrible. The housing assistance is inundated with and wait lists for affordable living are closed. Sean, I wonder about the assistance that's out there. What what can you tell us about that? There is uh, sources out there, but, you know, as was stated by the, the caller, the, the person that submitted a question, you know, this is very hard to get at this moment, uh, kind of the traditional forms of assistance. Uh, if you think about rental assistance, is very difficult, long, long wait lists, the time that it takes to produce housing, 
uh, for example, through the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program, which is the biggest producer of rental housing for our uh, workforce, um, you know, it takes years sometimes to produce that housing. And so, you know, that that's really kind of created a, a, a situation where there's is difficult to to access those resources that are available. And, you know, we have a, a stock that's been kind of what we call the naturally occurring kind of the, the mom and pops that that rents housing that's, you know, naturally affordable without subsidies, for example. Um, and, and those folks are, you know, exiting uh, the market after the, the pandemic um, and selling out uh, because, you know, it's, it makes sense for them from an investment standpoint. And so, you know, those things are causing rents to go up where, you know, stock was previously affordable, it's now unaffordable. And so you've kind of got all of that happening at once. Um, that's really creating a, a dire need. For those Floridians who have been able to buy a home in the last few years, it can be a nerve-wracking, nerve-wracking process. Let's take a listen to 29-year-old St. Petersburg resident Haley Bush. I feel like so lucky I was able to buy a house when I did. I feel like you know, a month later, I, would, I wouldn't have been able to afford to live in my state, my home state. And I think there are many, many other Floridians my age and older, frankly, um, who are in the same boat where COVID, we were <laughs> nationally, folks wanted to come here for a lot of reasons. And then suddenly the, the market just got spread so thin with so much demand. That's a big concern. Ken, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the impact that you think uh, migration into Florida after the start of the pandemic has had on the housing market, and then what's happening with housing supply in Florida at the moment? So it's pretty clear that the influx of population is is, is bigger than at any time in, in recent memory. So not not surprised to find large numbers in terms of a premium that you would be paying for housing in, in most of the larger metros in the state of Florida. So I'm just going to use Tampa as a reference point. Tampa right now is the third most overpriced city or metro area, if you will, in the country. When we measure where prices are compared to where they should be based on the history of prices, coming in at a premium of roughly 42.4%. Most of the Florida cities are all on this top premium list, and that's reflective of how many people are moving in. It's the people that are moving here now, they're coming, they're not the same folks that we used to see. We don't see the retirees or people coming here looking for jobs. A lot of these folks are coming in, bringing work with them, bringing industry and business with them. But that is in the short run, uh, uh, more than a little bit of a kerfuffle, if you will, for those of us that have already lived here, because our incomes are much lower. Our incomes are rising, but they're not rising as fast as housing costs are. On the supply side, the big problem right now going on is we're just not building enough, and you have to look at the reasons why that is. And one of the primary reasons that gets very little attention is the fact that after the last housing crash, so many developers exited the market, not only in Florida, but around the country. And I don't mean to be pejorative, but the concept of what used to be referred to as pickup truck builders no longer really exist. They're either large builders, national builders, and there's that void there where that builder that would go out and build those 25 to 50 to even 100 homes, that's hard to find. So our unit shortage on both for rent and for sale is about 15 years in the making, and we're not going to make it up in the next couple of years. When you say pickup truck builders, are you referring to builders who could kind of turn fairly quickly and and get a new project completed? It it tends to be bigger firms and maybe longer lead times for getting stuff built? 
I don't know so much about the time is that there's just a lot more of them. There's, mm. there's a lot of them and they tend to look at smaller development in terms of units. And so those days seem to be gone. But yes, the turnaround time seemed to be a lot quicker. Another issue besides just the sheer number of builders or the number of hammers that we can sl sling in Florida is the fact that there's this concept of nimbyism that's seemingly pervasive around the state in many parts of the country. And that's basically the concept of not in my backyard. And for some reason, there's this belief or opinion that says having a rental unit near my home doesn't help the value or having renters near my home doesn't help the value. And there's no academic support for that whatsoever. Mm. It's just a popular belief. You tend to see mixed use developments where you have a combination of rental units and units owned provides a better economic mix. And we've all experienced this today when we go to CVS and it's hard to make the automated checkout machine work because we're short of workers, because workers that have got to live an hour away to commute to, to where I live in Boca Raton, anything that you're going in for service from, from banks to restaurants to drugstores, it's hard to find a workforce that can live close to where these jobs are. And lastly, the issue of short-term rentals is not helping. Uh, Florida is very popular for, sh for short-term rentals, although we're starting to see a turnaround in that as, as the, the, the nation's economy starts to slow. But every unit that's taken out of, of inventory for to, to be put into inventory as a short-term rental is a roof that we don't have to live under and rent or live under and own, and that only exacerbates the problem. Speaking of nimbyism, as you describe it, Ken, that's a good segue into a question here from Giancarlo Rodriguez from Orlando, who wanted to know, does more infill housing help reduce the traffic, rising rents, and unaffordability associated with single-family sprawl? So it sounds like that could be one of the answers to this? Absolutely. We've seen, we're, we're going to get a little bit more dense in terms of density. We're going to be a little bit more vertical. A few more people are going to live closer in close proximity to one another. But infill is a concept that it's time has come. We all want to live in Florida with single family lots. The land just isn't there anymore because we all want to live in or near the coast with a few exceptions of the Orlando area. So we just have to understand that we're going to, our population is going to become a little bit more, the density is going to rise a little bit. The elevation of our units are going to rise a little bit, but we're not going to wake up and be New York City. I forget the number of hundreds of miles of coast that we have in Florida this just isn't going to happen, not in our lifetimes, not in our grandchildren's lifetime. Dave Coleman from Tampa asks, do local governments have the ability to make laws and zoning changes that would help workforce families? Sean, what about that? Absolutely. They, they do, um, through, through, through land use and zoning, have the ability to incentivize the development of, of housing that's affordable to, to the local workforce. And, you know, that's something that has long been uh, a part of the regime, um, even supported at the state level for, for local governments to do that. And so, um, and you know, we, here we've had very recent legislation to, to give local governments even more tools uh, to, to provide or, or incentivize the development of affordable housing, you know, where it makes sense, as was mentioned earlier, in the places it makes sense because we, you know, land is running out, particularly along our, our, our existing coastal areas. I mean, there's still plenty of coastal area where people want to live, but, you know, in our metro areas, definitely we're going to get more dense. And so 
where do we want to focus that, you know, focusing that on areas where it does make sense to put it, you know, along our commercial corridors, uh, along areas that have access to transit. So we're both, you know, creating uh, good affordable housing that has access to opportunity and kind of lessening the impacts um, at the edges of our of our metropolitan areas for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and local governments do have quite a bit of, of tools that they can access or, you know, put into place to encourage um, housing development that's affordable. There has been some change, though, right from the state level. I, I wonder if the opportunities for local governments to act in favor of affordable housing may have narrowed a bit in recent years. Good question. I think that, um, you know, there are different ways you can look at that. I I, I tend to say that it's probably ex- expanded or at least some of the questions that folks have had have been clarified uh, through some legislative action. For example, in, in 2020, uh, there was a, a House bill that basically gave local governments the ability to allow the development of affordable housing um, in commercial and industrial zones. At the time, they were allowing it also in residential zones, but that's been taken away recently. But still, the, the spirit of it was to allow it uh, without having to change your, your zoning or underlying uh, land use, uh, which to me was an opportunity to kind of expedite the development of housing that's affordable, uh, particularly some of the, you know, in the in where it makes sense in commercial zones, but also even at that time in residential areas where you might want to develop more of the missing middle type developments, you know, those duplexes and triplexes in an otherwise single-family development zone. And local governments can still do that, you know, through by-right zoning and land use and through that power as well. So I think that, you know, the the idea is to give uh, governments more tools um, here recently out of the, the recent legislation. Um, basically, I think gave local governments the ab- ability to further allow commercial development to be redeveloped in a way that facilitates affordable housing um, and also, you know, calls developers to kind of rise to the table and do more than what they probably would have done before. As you can see, residents in the greater Tampa Bay area have a lot of questions and opinions about housing. For example, we had lots of comments about homeowners insurance. Sarah King from Tampa noted, we were finally able to afford to purchase our first home at the end of 2020, but now the rising insurance costs have added almost $1,000 to our monthly mortgage. And then let's listen to Sharon Tagle, who's retired and who moved to Tampa in 2009. Um, my, con- my biggest concern right now is my property insurance. It's gone up $1,200 in the last year and it's scheduled to go up again. It's going to almost be as high as my mortgage pretty soon. And um, that's that's a care. We're, um, we're looking into moving out of, the, out of here and we don't want to. We love it here. But we just can't, like my husband puts it, we're over Tampa. Ken, how big a factor is the cost of homeowners insurance in Florida's housing market? In the most recent months, this has become more and more an issue. Um, It seems like so much of what we talk about today is going to be, well, there's solutions on the horizon. They're just not going to happen in the next few months. And this is probably true for homeowners insurance as well. A couple of pieces of legislation has gone through that will help. Uh, number one, um, doing away with the one-way attorney fees where the basically the loser has to pay all of the attorney fees. Um, assignment of benefits has also been done away with where a third party can step in 
and act mm -hmm. for the homeowner and negotiating things like new roofs. Um, and, and so I, I know the litigation cost in the last few years, pretty much out of every dollar spent out in the last couple of years by, by insurers in the state have been uh, 75 percent for each dollar, 75 cents on each dollar goes to litigation and public adjuster cost and 25 percent actually goes to pay claims. So that should start to go down, but you have to understand that there are a number of issues and claims and cases that are in the pipeline that's going to take some amount of time to work through. So, But I expect insurance costs to come down. Unlike rents and home prices, I do expect homeowners' insurance costs to come down. We're paying roughly threefold the average homeowners' insurance is costing in the U.S., and that's not all explained by hurricane exposure. Just to wrap up here, I want to ask you both if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to to mention at this point in time. Sean, what do you think? As Ken Elsel said, you know, there, there are solutions that are being brought forth that, you know, are going to take a little bit of time for folks to start to really feel those things happening. Uh, but those are those are important things that are happening uh, to address the issue. And it, it is going to take a little bit of time. Ken, how about yourself? Anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to mention? Housing, both for ownership and, 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 and rent, goes in a cycle. And we're currently at the peak of a housing cycle for both rents and home ownership. Uh, one of the things that's absolutely true when you're at the peak of the cycle is it's incredibly difficult to solve the problem at that point in time for uh, affordability issues. Land is at its most expensive, material and labor are at their most expensive. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do something. It's going to probably take some time to come into effect. This isn't the first time this has happened. It isn't the first time it's happened in Florida. It isn't the first time it's happened around the country. Historically, after World War II, people left rural areas and moved into metropolitan areas. And so much of what we're seeing today is exactly what has happened before. It takes time to build units. But once those units get built, you'll see things come back in line. But until then, it's going to be a pretty rough road to hoe. And we're going to see some issues in, 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 in terms of density, as our density will increase. We're going to see more people uh, living in one unit on average, multifamily generational living, uh, where that's kind of gone out of vogue. But you're going to see that grandchildren to grandparents. You're going to see these odd couples, if you will. I'm kind of showing my age back to a 60s <laughs> and 70s sitcom. The odd couple and the golden girls, those came from real world, real life situations where the setting was such that housing costs were just so expensive, people moved in together. But we will work our way through this. I came here uh, originally in the early 2000s, and the prices were so high relative to my home state. And I thought, I'll never be able to afford to live here. But I knew the business opportunities here were better than where I was coming from. Mm -hmm. And so it was a bit of a roll of the dice. It, it was a gamble. It was an investment, even, if you will, into my professional future. And it's turned out fine 20-something years later, and I'm glad I'm here. I have no plans of leaving. But I think that's going to be true of people moving into Florida today, is that this is a little bit of a risk, but the opportunities are here. I'm not willing to give up on the state of Florida by any stretch of the imagination. I think things are, are going to get better way before they get worse, and, and I have no plans to move. We've been speaking with Florida Atlantic University business professor, associate dean, and real estate expert, Ken H. Johnson. Ken, thank you so much. Thank you. And Florida Housing Coalition CEO, Ashon Nesbitt. Ashon, thank you. 
Thank you. My pleasure. And that's our show for this week. Find more details about our Changing State series, including photos of the people we are meeting and visiting with across the Tampa Bay region on our website, wusfnews.org. Next week, we're examining the changing state of Florida's environment. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Look for Florida Matters. Our producer is Denora Prevost. The reporter for this episode is Craig Kopp. We also received support for this week's episode from engineer Jackson Harp, digital editor Carl Lishandrello, and news director Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.